Welcome to the Dog Dialogue by Southwest Dog Skills, your ultimate podcast for all things dog. I'm Matt Donovan, and I'll be your guide through the fascinating world of canine companionship. Whether you're a seasoned caregiver or a newbie, join us for expert insights, heartwarming stories, and the joy of being part of a dog-loving community. Together, we'll explore the deep connections we forge with our four-legged companions. Because when it comes to our canine friends, every bark, every wag, every paw print tells a story. Let's embark on this awesome journey together. Okay, welcome everybody to the Dog Dialogue podcast. Um, I'm really excited uh, to have this conversation with us about um, something that's actually really close to my heart, something that I worked with in my old job before I was a dog trainer. Um, So I worked within special schools and that sort of thing. But this conversation spurred off from uh, Tam, who was on a sports webinar, and Cara ran it, talking about neurodiversity in sport and supporting athletes, and also supporting um, coaches and other professionals that work with those athletes to effectively communicate with them. So I'm going to let you guys introduce yourself. We've got Cara, Mikey, and Bridget, who is in the background, who you may hear rumblings from because <laughs> before the recording, she was making herself a little bed. She was getting herself all cosy. So there might be little dog noises in the background. But as a dog podcast, that is absolutely fine. So if you guys could introduce yourselves, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. So um, my name's Cara McMurtry. I was on the GB rowing team for. Um, 10 years, um, was quite a successful junior and under 23 athlete. And then on joining the team, um, really struggled. I was actually misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder and and mismedicated for that for five years whilst competing internationally. That was a pretty horrific time. Um, but then being re-diagnosed, like being looked at as a, as a person being re-diagnosed with autism, um, it made such a huge difference to my understanding of myself and other people's understanding of me. Um, and yeah, that's really what spurred me on to found neurodiverse sport, which is the organization that, um, I founded and that I would have, uh, run that webinar through. Mm. Um, and ultimately I guess we've, we've got big ambitions to change the landscape of sport to make, it more neuroinclusive at every level because as you as you mentioned like you might have come come across um neurodiversity in special educational needs kind of settings Mm. but it definitely it goes beyond that um and I think and even in those settings I do think there's a lot of of stigma attached and uh, judgment of capabilities and I think the more we can get to the point where we just see everyone as having, you know, differences, strengths, weaknesses, um, and almost the more we can uh, widen our widen our goalposts or parameters of what we consider acceptable difference, the better, because then we can support people when they need support, and then we can like let them thrive where they where they've got strengths. Whereas at the moment, I feel it's a very deficit based lens at everywhere you kind of look mm-hmm. but and then yeah mikey you introduce yourself well that's a big intro isn't it Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm mikey i'm cara's husband i also 
uh, work with neurodiverse sport uh, to a slightly lesser capacity, but I help co-facilitate some of the workshops and stuff and do some of the run- running of bits and bobs. I'm dyslexic, dyspraxic, ADHD. Uh, so I've got all the good ones. Wait, you also scored like as autistic when you yeah. went for your ADHD assessment and they so gave poss- you an autism questionnaire. So possibly, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I've am i got a background in sport as well, or current ground in sport. Um, I'm, I used to be a rower in the squad for a little while, um, back sort of 10 years ago. Then since then, I've been an uh, elite cyclist. So I'm an elite gravel cyclist now. I race kind of across Europe and stuff and everything. So that's my kind of connection to sport. Um, I'll introduce Bridget. Do that, She's yeah. Sleeping. She's a six-year-old rescue beagle. We've had uh, about eighteen months now, and she's terribly behaved, but <laughs> she's very squishy and lovely. We were a bit worried about coming on a, a dog training podcast. We were like, <clears throat> we are not. <laughs> we are no. not great examples of training your dog. We're but very free parents. We we tra- let Bridget express herself. <laughs> we, we we train her instincts and stuff. So do a lot of kind of scent stuff with yeah. her, which is really good for her as yeah. a beagle. And she knows her limits. Like we've got cats, yeah. and she, you know she gets along really well with the cats, and that takes some discipline, I guess. That's but we're not rude. we're not the kind of dog parents that would be able to have her like walking next to us and things i just don't think that's in the nature of a beagle anyway so particularly one who's lived five years or so as a in a puppy farm yeah, actually just, she was just, used uh, as a she was, she was used in a puppy farm so yeah. yeah um but yeah and and having been to some beagle meetups and stuff it we can probably confirm she might actually be the loudest beagle going so <laughs> Uh, if she if the postman does come you will know about it he's already been thankfully i should say she has she's absolutely been like essential to my well-being but i'm sure we'll talk about that yeah i I mean there's 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 loads for us to unpack there's some really nice bits that you've said already in terms of um looking because what i want to draw on is this the the parallels between how we work with um our clients and our both the the humans and the dogs but then also the work that you do there as well because there are so many parameters and and first of all I also want to say that I'm not the dog trainer that's going to make you walk your dog on a hill to heal I'm not the the guy our approach is it's a (laughs) care-based approach so you create the dog you want as long as their needs are met and they're happy and healthy and they they understand how to live within our world you know we make all I could, I could share all the adaptions we made to our lives so that our dogs fit in with our world rather than going through these big changes and i'm really interested in how bridget has supported you um f- from from your you know mm. from a, a mental health or well-being or whatever it is point of view <clears throat> yeah. i think that's going to be really fascinating so before we get into the dog side of it tell us a bit more about your um sort of ethics and values around support trying to help professionals within sport sort of focus on looking at the individual rather than that sort of blanket approach because for us that is such an important thing to look into yeah so I guess when you're dealing with like really essentially like cutthroat high performance coaches um like if you can if you can make changes at that level you you're going to be able to make changes at every level which is exciting but when you're dealing with those coaches like they really I hate to say it but they don't necessarily care about it being the right thing to do like d and i is not the top of their 
agenda winning medals is so having a one-size-fits-all approach and a system that you know works albeit for one type of athlete if you know it gets medals well you're going to go with that until you're forced not to but what the approach we kind of take when Edie and I is not on the agenda as such on the on their personal agenda it will be in the sort of organization's agenda um is to to get them to understand that well firstly there'll be at least a fifth of people in the room who are neurodivergent there'll be people on your team who are neurodivergent anyway who are good enough to be there and they're kind of probably wasting energy masking or finding their own kind of methods to get around their differences and potentially difficulties. And actually, if you made it acceptable to disclose and for them to seek support for their differences, then they could put a lot more more of their energy into their performance. Um, And then, you know, if needs be, just use the example of some of the world's greatest athletes are neurodivergent is coming out kind of more and more. And I would, I would kind of argue that, you know, do you think that somebody like Michael Phelps or Simone Biles are easy to work with? Probably not. But it's worth meeting them halfway and, you know, thinking outside the box because, you know, their difference is is a massive strength. And in sport, you want people who are at the the absolute limits of human neurology like you want people who have these incredible strengths and there's always always a give and take with these things if you look at the like evolutionary psychiatry model um if you if you have a really incredible strength something else will kind of have to fall by the wayside naturally so it's Mm -hmm. kind of getting that getting that across which i guess is just moving away from the simplified like you know you are normal you're right you're good you fit in you're not normal you're not right you're not good you don't fit in like it's moving away from that and seeing the complexity yeah i think i'd like simplify it down a bit into like just of course you would (laughs) just kind of just taking people as individuals and seeing what their needs are for the environment and um, teaching styles and everything they need, as opposed to kind of just this regimented system. Like obviously you can have systems, but be flexible and kind of just seeing people as individuals and not commodities. Mm. And um, you'll go a long way. And even the people who aren't, you don't, necessarily fall into that neurodivergent category they're still going to benefit from that treatment and like it might make your life a little bit more difficult as such but the performance gains you can get are like endless almost and the well-being gains is yeah. that is that saying a, a rising tide lifts all boats and i think love that. if i yeah i love it as well if if i look at it in a kind of picture like when you have a really rigid system it probably works really really well for 20 percent of people you'll have 20% of people on the other end who just cannot stretch. And I would almost consider myself one of those. Um, When I was in sport, I just, it was damaging me to stretch to that mold. But there'll be like 60% of people in the middle 
who it doesn't quite work for and they can just about stretch but they would still really benefit from individualization so like that's I guess what Mikey means when it it will really positively impact everyone there's so many parallels what you're saying to to a more so our, our approach um, and a growing number of dog training professionals approach to working with dogs is is dogs first individual yeah. dogs first what are their needs how do we meet needs best what's appropriate how do we support yeah. that how do we support their emotional experience as well that's a really important thing for us to understand in our dogs and it sounds like from the bits that you've mentioned about Bridget already what you guys are going to be brilliant at is understanding that she's a beagle understanding that that means certain things um facilitating a world for her that's really meaningful for her and sometimes dog training can be this off the shelf one size fits all approach for both dog and for the for the caregiver as well yeah but actually those of us that are looking more towards a, a care-based model that then goes across both dog and caregiver allows for those differences to be recognized allows us to create a, a, a program or a, a, a a, a way of supporting the dog and the caregiver that's actually meaningful for them because you're you're meeting them at their level and then you're going you know you're moving on from that rather than going you need to be where I am it's lowering that and, and going right where's the person where's the dog and moving forward from there and it sounds like there's so many parallels in terms of what you're trying to do and the effect the change that you're trying to affect and and so many of us within the care side of the dog industry as well is trying to do exactly the same thing which is just fantastic and like no, you said I think that is really good like my, my I said Mikey was a bit reticent earlier he was like oh god I hope it's not going to be like the really strict um like dog Al training like Alsatian training Als yeah <laughs> and I was like you know probably if they've if they've reached out to us they know that we're about neurodiverse sport and about meeting people where they are so mm. I really doubt it yeah <laughs> so it's really good to hear that I think it's like since getting Bridget you kind of you know people say old oh, dogs are individuals and like yes you believe it and sort of but I don't think everyone sort of really believes it they're very much like this dog is a dog who does this you must treat it like that but like there is no dog like Bridget there's really honestly there's <laughs> and, not she has such a personality and, and I'm sure everyone said like everyone who kind of is really into their dog and really appreciates their dog kind of as a dog as as a sentient being would feel would feel the same about their dog and um understand that they're all individuals and therefore you know there's training techniques which will work to some extent but you you must have to kind of understand what works well for them and what works you know and what doesn't and so i think you know it's not like we give up on certain stuff but you understand that well so that square yeah. peg round hole we talk about that yeah. in in new diversity like there are some things that you would not <clears throat> expect an autistic person to be able to do it's just not it's not in their nature it's not the way they work but they'll be really good at some other things um and it's the same with dogs I guess and it's the same with Bridget like there are some things that never going to expect her to be able to yeah. do or the ways that we would never expect her to be able to behave but that's fine she's like incredible in in other ways mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really great thing that we, <clears throat> we, we get away from this and I think it, it comes from what you were saying earlier about we get away from this is good this is bad we can do this and we can't and if you can't do this well then if you can't do this my way then, mm. then you're out sort of thing. It, we really need to move on from that. We really need to understand, actually, you know, 
the dogs have an emotional experience. Um, they have desires. They have things that they want to do and things they don't want to do. And if we can create this partnership way of living, yeah. it means that we can both have fulfilled lives um, and we can share and we can understand when, you know, the other one is busy and doesn't want to get involved or whatever. And there's this flexibility to living yeah. such a, a more meaningful way to live rather than, you know, Oh, this is such bad behavior. You're so terrible at this. And you can't, you know, that, that can't mentality that unfortunately, you know, what we, we've learned from experience and you've probably experienced the same is people love to judge, but they hate to be judged. And behavior yeah. is definitely something that people love to judge. And if they can judge, the behavior of another especially what might be seen and I would disagree with this what would be seen as a lesser being yeah it, you know they, they can maybe feel better about themselves because yeah. I totally agree I I said this to Mikey like well I don't want to ostracize loads of your audience but um like when I see people being really really like regimented and kind of military with their dogs I I there's a little part of me that's like do they just like the power trip? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what I wonder. But I just wanted to touch on something you said as well about the dog's emotions. Mm. And it really made me think about when we first got Bridget, like if you could track her her stress levels and her anxiety and her emotions on a chart, like it would have been such a clear um, pattern. Mm. Like when we first got her, she was clearly terrified but and part of that came out and like she she nipped me and like um you know she was really reactive and she was just not not much of her personality was coming across she was just still so terrified of cuz cuz of where she'd come from and it took quite a few at the start it was like a, a really weeks, yeah. considerable kind of drop and then it petered out but it's like over a period of weeks months a year like she's just become more and more and more herself as she's become less and less and less threatened. Mm. And I think it's such a beautiful thing to witness. Um, and I'd probably, I'd love other people to sort of kind of understand that as well. Like if you can, if you can tend to your pet's emotions and your dog's emotions, they will be able to express themselves and give back. Um, and then also, when it comes to rescue dogs, like give them time and, and prioritize them feeling safe to start with. Um, because a lot, I think a lot of her ba bad behavior at the start hmm. was her feeling threatened and unsafe. Hmm. But yeah. Absolutely. So I'm interested in how much of from your other world is drawn into how you live and how you support with Bridget. So your your a your personal experiences through life, but also now your professional experiences in terms of what you do. How much of that awareness that you've got? Because it sounds like, from my point of view, there's there is this heightened awareness and understanding about her experience and her emotions mm -hmm. and how to support her. Does that come from? Do you draw on things from what you've learned from other areas of your world? Is it something that's natural within you? What? How do you come to that point? I'd say to some extent it's like it's natural within us to be like fairly caring and understanding sort of thing of of Bridget and of like other people as a whole and other you know you, you see just another person and it's like we're not the type to really judge I mean like you say people love to judge and everyone judges to some extent but 
I think particularly me, I'm the I'm the type of person who kind of it's it it's easy to sort of go, okay, what's the story behind this? And kind of touching on the work we've done as well, we we actually went into a prison um, a month or so ago for a neurodiversity day, and it's so easy before you go in, and even from the outside and everything, and be like, judge these people, judge these people, but to go in there and then meet these people as individuals, talk to them and hear their stories, it's very hard to go there and say you're a purely evil person sort of thing and of course they've done there's people who've done bad things there sort of thing yeah so and it is so it's very easy to disconnect yourself and i think that does come with your own experience as a neurodivergent individual mm. you kind of you're almost in a way slightly disconnected from yourself and you're kind of having to like choose these emotions and choose like be very regimented in plan kind of how you feel and why you feel and stuff. And then that means that you can kind of relate it to others slightly more. Does that make sense? Sort of. Yeah. I think there, I, I definitely think there's a correlation with being neurodivergent. And if you're lucky enough to have maybe had help or um, reach that point of self-understanding, a lot of people kind of live in that limbo of, of not understanding and that's quite stressful um, but I've kind of, I know that, well, I had therapy <laughs> and that helped me get beyond that and actually self-reflect. Um, but I think, yeah, I spent a lot of time in that hurt stage where I knew I was being judged unfairly. My intentions were not what people were kind of picking up on because my my thinking, my behavior is different. I was being judged in a way that that's not, that didn't relate to my internal experience. And that was, so I lived a lot of my life in kind of that defensive, a bit like Bridget, like when we first got that kind of defensive state of like the best way to defend is to attack um, and to shut down and to not explore beyond that experience that you're having in the moment. And then when I was able to move beyond that, um, yeah, it gave me the freedom to kind of rise above that. And and now I think if I ever look at anyone else before I judge them, I just think how horrible it was when I was judged unfairly. And so I think that is really what leads me. And, I, and there are a couple of other things. I think it's a common trait amongst neurodivergent people. I don't know why this is. Maybe it's the binary thinking. Maybe it's you can go two ways depending on how you're taught in childhood and but there's a very sort of right or wrong kind of justice driven trait um and yeah i think it probably is the binary thinking because because i guess if you if you aren't guided in childhood you probably go down the the sort of wrong side of that and i think it's like 70% of people in in, pri- in the prison system are have adhd or autism right. um so but if if you're guided in the right way hmm then you end up being really justice driven and you'll find that there's like an incredible amount of um, people in the, in the other side of the justice working in, in the police force who are also have ADHD or autism. <laughs> so, um, but obviously like, yeah. So you have this like real sense of right and wrong. And it, and to me it is wrong to judge somebody unfairly um, and to not look at the kind of nuances in the cause and effect and I think what you were saying, I think, is a bit of 
you know, to get along as a neurodivergent mm. person, you have to be very analytical of everything. Mm. And and then that means, again, you're thinking of the, you're not just living yeah. in the moment, you're thinking about the cause and effect. If you have to think about the cause and effect of what you're doing all the time, mm. because, for instance, if, say, emotional, you wouldn't think it talking to me, but if I don't look after myself, I can be very emotionally dysregulated. Right. So I'm constantly thinking about how I manage myself um, yeah. and being very analytical. And therefore, I kind of apply that to other people in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I think that like what you're just saying there to as a neurodiversion person, you kind of, you think of things quite analytical. So you'll often see that's where differences often kind of expose themselves. Like when you're at a gig or something and you see people just getting like losing themselves or something and you're kind of stood on the sideline a little bit, like I'm enjoying this, but I like, <laughs> it's very hard to sort of lose yourself within it or at a party or something like that. And that, and that's often where the differences kind of show out, kind of shine out a bit. And then problems occur because you start taking actions which you believe you should do to fit in, such as like, you know, drinking too much or, you know, making mistakes sort of thing. And yeah, so I, yeah, and I think kind of... Trying, trying to act normal in air brackets. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. and this, do you know, what, this goes so yeah. much back to um, to our caregivers and, their, and 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 their dogs because they are trying to fit into what is now perceived as a social norm. Of your dog should be able to do this, your dog should yeah, be able to yeah. do that. If your dog acts in a different way in public, it's a bad dog. It's you know, reactive is a word that gets used a lot mm. that you know really doesn't sit well with me. And yeah. and all these sort of terms that you're you're trying to support a dog as best you can trying to communicate with them in the in the best way you can to try and fit into this world of judgment and shame and and yeah. and, and all that sort of thing so i just to draw and talk more about bridget because i've seen her briefly and she just looks brilliant what what are the things that typically so go back to those early stages i'm interested in those early stages when you you, you brought her home and you said that she was having difficulties and was dysregulated with her emotions how did you instinctively support that? So I think this is like something I also wanted to mention earlier, but there's this like myth that, and it's why I didn't think that I could be autistic for a while. There's a myth that like autistic people lack empathy mm. and it it's not true. You can be empathetic and show it in different ways. You can be unempathetic. It's, it's just the same as everyone else. I'm definitely... And I think potentially you can be more empathetic because you are like hypersensing. So I'm definitely hypersensing. I'm very intuitive, not in terms of necessarily language, but in terms of like picking up on small cues and things and people. Um, so like, yeah, I'm like a sponge when it comes to empathy and then it can be quite overwhelming, but then it does mean that, yeah, with Bridget, I just... I don't know. I just knew that I needed to give her what she needed mm. um, and to give her a sense of safety and look at her in the background. I know. She's great. Because <laughs> someone came to the door just now. And um, <laughs> so she's like, do I bark? Do I bark? But Mikey had got there already. So <laughs> so it, it sounds like actually what you, you did was 
not necessarily part of a thought process, not necessarily part of a plan. It was instinctive. It's what you felt was right from reading her. So going, where are you at right now? Mm-hmm. What do we need to give you? More, sounds like a couple of things you gave her probably was a bit of time and some space. Yeah. Just definitely. to grow as she needed to, just to get used to the environment that she was living in without any expectations of all of a sudden, everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to be great. Because we definitely see a lot those people that are, um, more on the empathetic scale, definitely hyper aware of reading cues over that, uh, reading body language cues over language, have that ability to sense within a dog what their needs are because actually you see it. It's not something you need to be told. It's it's you see the difference in how they move through the room or yeah, their little eyes, their little eyebrows do like a little thing. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely and 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 for some people that can those those nuances those tiny little bits of communicate pardon me communication can be missed really easily but actually because of the the traits that you that you have as a person both of you individually you do see those you know if I was to change my facial expression now you'd absolutely read that you'd go well why is Matt changed his face and being quite happy and smiley what's going on there and it's why I it's why I always opt for video calls over um phone calls over voice calls I always always do I can't stand phone calls because all of the context is gone for me like Mm. I said it's harder for me to read like language spoken language I have to see the person and see what their face Mm. is doing yeah it's like it's weird isn't it because you can it's either messaging is good because you can get your direct message across but then receiving messaging isn't as good yeah. sort of thing <laughs> but then for like phone calls are sort of like a real gray area of like i've not i've not met a neurodivergent saying. person who likes phone calls no. <laughs> I, well um, i i for me i would choose a phone call because it saves me having to type that, yeah that would be my choice yeah. if i could avoid doing an email I will avoid doing email. Mm. I'll pick up the phone. You know, we run a, a, we sell dog treats and that sort of thing online. And every time we, every now and again, we've got to get involved with a customer to support them maybe with something that's missing or, you know, Mm. something that's not quite right. And I'd rather pick up the phone and ring that person than get involved in an email trail. And, you know, and other people might, might look at that in different ways. And that's just a a difference and an interesting difference. Yeah. Um, And something else I was going to say was, and this, (laughs) I do. I think it is about letting letting your dog lead. To obviously, you don't want to let them walk all over you, but it, I think it's t- time is key. Like what you said, um, like at the start, I was really really worried that she was not going to calm down. She, she's my first dog. Um, I'm usually I had cats, but Mikey's had dogs in the past, and I was a bit like, I was really because she was so stressed at the start. Um, and you kind of said. You did say, like, we have to keep her downstairs because dogs, she mm-hmm. needs to learn to be alone. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that she could, like, from the sound of her and from the nights where she just would start whimpering. And I was like, she doesn't, she's, it's not, she doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. Why do, why are we training her to be able to tolerate being in a dark like, room on her own? She's used to being in a puppy farm, probably around other dogs. And, you know, she's in this scary new place. Why are we making her? And this isn't the same for every dog, but for her, why are we why are we locking her downstairs? So basically, I bullied Mikey into <laughs> I bullied Mikey into letting her up into the bedroom, and it it like solved everything. And 
she just she loves to be around us and i'm like well what's the what's the problem just because someone said like just because for someone having the dog downstairs works and for that dog it works and maybe there's two of them and um but why 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 should we have to do that just because it's the done thing it's like you know look at your dog see what their characteristics are and then figure out like you said together um what the best way forwards is yeah it's not even like a rescue dog thing is it you get dogs from the same litter i'm sure you see which like one's one's like sat on the heel sort of thing and one's probably bouncing off the walls all day long or absolutely. whatever yeah, yeah we, we've got um a 19 week old pup at the moment and we're still mm-hmm. in, in contact with the litter and, and you know where the litter have gone and the differences are, 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 are huge in personality yeah. is it a re- car is a really important thing i wanted to pick up on what you said which i think is brilliant in understanding is you were talking about training for tolerance you were you were you know talking about getting Bridget to tolerate being downstairs and I think that's such an important word sometimes in in our education not only with dogs but wider education as well in in terms of life of 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 tolerate you know training or learning to tolerate certain things and I think actually it's not necessarily a healthy way to be it's not it's not a way to to live a life of I'm just tolerating this and I and I think going back to the work I think that transfers back then and please tell me if I'm wrong to the work that you do of so many athletes are tolerating certain things because their needs maybe their communication needs aren't being met or their social needs aren't being met in a way that's meaningful for them and that's so transferable to the dogs that we we share our lives with as well I really I really Mm. really agree with that and I guess the toleration part is I see that in the we talked about the people in the middle before who can tolerate and then there'll be people kind of a bit further away from the norm in air quotes yeah. um who it's almost intolerable and they could tolerate it for a period of time and then they blow up and then they get they get misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's that toleration is kind of like toleration masking it's just doing things that are not congruent with who you are and don't get the best out of you um and yeah i really agree with that. like why yeah. If we have, like in in modern society, we do have the privilege of having another choice. Yeah. That is a privilege. Why would we not use it? Because also, I was thinking about this the other day. It's getting a bit big, kind of big picture thinking. I, I was it. like, do it. It's great. Um, do it. <laughs> like, it's if we if we start to move towards not just tolerating, but actually thriving and doing what's best for us. That's what puts you, and I, and I kind of alluded to it earlier with, with myself and my story, that's what puts you in the position where you have the capacity to help others. <laughs> and so for me, that is the point of this. It's not to make my life better and my life easier. It's to give, to give me energy and capacity to then pay it forwards. So like, I think that's the key message here because I think a lot of people would kind of look at it and be like oh, it's namby pamby like you know back in my day I used we used to just get on with it and it's like mm-hmm. fine you used to get on with it but did you have capacity to help anyone else did you have capacity to pro- progress things probably not and that seems like waste a waste to me like we're that that seems like we're wasting our privilege like we need to to put ourselves in the best position to use our privilege in a first world country yeah I think like in sport, the word resilience is used a lot. Mm. And I think that 
yes, there absolutely has to be an element of resilience because there isn't there isn't things you can control. Like there will be crowds and stuff, but you can do some learnings and you can do like there's interventions you can make, you know, earplugs or things like that to kind of control those things a little bit and make that environment more acceptable for you. It's like we don't do like in sport we wear sunglasses. Like we don't say. Oh, well, you know, be resilient to the be, sun, be resilient to the sun, <laughs> the wind, you know, like in a lot of sports, we wear sunglasses because it's like, because that's a good one. I like that because it makes the environment more, more like easier to do your sports. So yeah. You can put more energy in, into what the purpose of what you're doing and not just tolerate, tolerating the yeah. sun in your eyes. Yeah. So I like, absolutely. You do have to learn some resilience. Yeah. There is an element of it. And we're not sat here saying you know, everything should be like, you should wrap yourself up in cotton wool and just go and do a fitness test and whoever's the fittest wins sort of thing. There is there is an environment in which you have to perform. But let's kind of not just go down this one track of you have to be this kind of robot that performs under, you know, ridiculous conditions. Mm. You know, let's kind of make these conditions as best we can for you or take the time to adapt to them you know if there's something a little bit different let's learn let's understand why why these things aren't a threat and then i think it's having it's it's having flexibility to allow people to follow different processes Mm -hmm. to get to the same outcome in sport because in sport you want the same outcome but why do we all need to follow the same process if our if our neurology our behavior traits our baseline our experiences are all different why on earth would we follow completely the same yeah. process? Absolutely. And I suppose kind of relating it back to dogs without being a dog trainer. Um, it's <laughs> Go like, ahead. Well, it's, it's like if you've got a dog who's, uh, I also hate the word reactive because right. it's such a negative so, word. So, so, it's so, like bad behavior in humans, isn't but it? But it's, it's, it's the difference between kind of getting a dog which ignores or getting a dog which kind of understands that the other dog is probably isn't a threat sort of thing. I, I suppose that's the sort of, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's my sort of approach, which I'd have. And that's what we have to do with Bridget is she is what people would call as reactive at times. She's not all the time, just, and kind of, she's a being like some days she's great. She, she just wants to play or kind of focus on you. And sometimes she's a bit scared of other dogs and stuff. And that's why she's reactive. She's not, she doesn't she's not barking because she wants to be aggressive be aggressive to another dog and so it's like for her she's everything is like she's always looking always smelling always seeing and it's like i'm pretty sure she's autistic no, I'm just, you're like, not... me and bridget like the same being i swear but you're not going to be able to stop her from doing those things and i don't want her to be a dog which is just like focus on me kind of eyes forward when you're on a walk you want her to enjoy her walks and stuff and so for her she has to understand these things these external factors they're not a threat to her you know and understand i think that's what we try and do we try and get her to you know we kind of know some of the dogs and the owners in the village um i kind of know the dogs more than the owners you end up doing that absolutely yeah um (laughs) if she does have a moment where she's reactive and you kind of sense sometimes you're not going to get over it. And sometimes it's a case. She just needs to actually meet that dog. And those are the times that really teach her 
a good lesson. So she'll be like barking, barking, barking. We know that owner. We know that dog. Like kind of guide her. No, don't let her run at the dog, but like let them come together. And then she's like, oh, oh okay. And then that teaches her like a, a good lesson that it was fine. You know, you were scared, and then it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that don't go well are when when the owners kind of tense up and kind of almost like put across to their dog that this is a threat and then yeah. that other dog doesn't want to well that goes back to the we love to judge kind yeah. of thing and, yeah but we don't and, have to be judged and yeah so many things you've both been saying i'm sat here going this is just brilliant this is fantastic because the message there are so many parallels across so like mm. you were talking about those external factors the mm. sun the noise of the crowd you know all those things that an athlete might find difficult you're you're supporting that athlete to have neutrality around yeah. those external factors you don't want them to be heightened to them but you also don't want them to be ignoring them ignoring them either because yeah. they are present they are there and in working with our dogs that neutral response to be able to go oh there's a dog over there it's fine or actually oh no that's my friend I know who that is and trot <laughs> on over and that that's that's that that flexibility in 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 the emotion experience that you want to have in both the athlete but also in the dog as well yeah. and, and sometimes people find it challenging when we make a comparison between dogs and humans but from my experience there are so many in terms of because in in essence what becomes important is supporting the well-being in both health and um, mental health and well-being as well but then also the emotional experience and seeing that what that being as an individual and going right how do I best meet your needs how do I communicate effectively with you what's important to you and how do we grow and how do we facilitate that better yeah I, I I totally agree and I don't I don't I mean maybe this is just me but I see every living thing on this planet as as valuable as each other I don't see myself as more important than any other animal or any other person um so I don't I don't think it's a, I don't find it offensive to compare a dog to a human being at all you're not telling yeah. a person that well, that to me if you do find it offensive i'm like well, what well, what do you think of dogs then do you like if you if you're offended by that what is your opinion of dogs yeah. because i think that dogs are absolutely amazing mm-hmm. so i do um i do sometimes see cara like giving bridget a big cuddle and it's like <laughs> and bridget giving like a side eye and these like no stop it and these like eyebrows and i'm like how is <laughs> i'm like I'm sort of like, how are you not a human? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're exact, you're exactly the same. There's exactly the same going on there, sort of thing. Yeah. And um, yeah. Like so you you can see the intelligence, and you you kind of, I don't know. Some people say like as intelligent as a three year old or something. But she's I, more I intelligent. She's, she's she's figured she's out how to. Seven. So she she knows that we if she barks at the back door, like does a little, like we have to come to the back door because we don't want her to wee on the mat. She we have to let her out. So she's figured out that we go to the back door, open the back door, and then she walks to the um, treats cupboard. <laughs> Excellent. Obviously, we don't give in, but we're like, you naughty little. <laughs> so, so... It's clever. It's very, it's... very, very, very clever. I say to people all the time, if, if you think you're, do- you're training your dog, it's completely the other it's, way around. Yeah, that's that's her trying it's to train us. Is. If, if Jonty wants my space on the sofa, he goes and stands by his water bowl. Exactly yes! The same. If he stands by his water bowl, he, go, he knows I'm going to get up, I'm going to cup up his water. And as I turn in the kitchen... That's so funny. He switched behind me and he's got my, my place on the sofa. And every time I'm there, every time I'm for it, 
anyway, something I, I wanted to, to sort of go back to was how Bridget Kara supported you, um, yeah. and and what she, what she meant to you, and and how how she provided you with support maybe during some some difficult times you were going through. So if you don't mind sharing some information about that, I think the listeners would find that really useful to know. Yeah. So. Um, I didn't I didn't have Bridget while I was rowing because um I didn't feel that I could give her enough time like I saw some of the rowers with their dogs they like leave them in the car and stuff and I just that wasn't how I if I if I had a dog I knew I'd I'd want it round me my, more often just to give it the comfort and the affection that it needs um but yeah, we got her when I when I finished, and that was a really important time because it was the first time that I did. I, I was diagnosed as autistic, sort of like later in my career, and but even then, it was like, okay, I'm still on a mission. Like I, I need to turn this around. I need to turn my performance around in a very short space of time. I need to learn about myself, just the key bits that are gonna get my performance back on track, and the key bits I need to communicate with coaches, and we need to get this going for the Olympics. And so it was like I was still on a mission. I wasn't I wasn't able to really embrace my autistic label as such. Yeah. And I wasn't really able to explore because I was still within a system. So I wasn't really able to explore what my autism and to be honest, I've got a lot of characteristics of ADHD as well. Like what that means to me, what my r- real baseline is. I, d- I couldn't afford to really do that while I was still in a system. Um Although working you, towards yeah. a goal although you were like diagnosed and there was an understanding there was still a huge element of masking in a way of not like yeah. you weren't hiding it but it was kind of like you were still having to fit into norms and work yes. around yeah <clears throat> so it was better was it was flexible. it was better than being misdiagnosed and having to completely mask but it was it was like a small step in the right direction so when i finished rowing that was a real sort of like okay who am I like what am I who am I and I think Bridget like really just gave me comfort in the times and just you know a dog will just see you as you and love you for you and I think there's nothing that compares to that I guess probably having a baby but you know you actually have to have the baby um and you have to like and I think like you have to look after a baby all the time and that's but you know a dog is like sort of stays in that period forever where they just they just love you so much and what it's just it also draws like it draws positive things out of me as well because it really takes me back to what's important in life so I'll get really caught up in you know, I was fine. I was finding myself, but I was also thinking about starting this organization. I, I was in that kind of period of like, do I fade into obscurity or do I some, do something with my experiences and try and change this landscape for the better for, for future athletes? Um, and that in itself is incredibly, you know, emotional because I, a lot of what I did at the start and even now I'm drawing on really, really tough experiences um and then I'm trying to learn something new I've never set up a business like I I've never like I did a start your own business course at the start, and then I was like okay I think I can do it now um but there's so many things that I hadn't done before and that were complex and stressful and you know I I, I actually 
finished rowing thinking I was stupid and you know thinking all right I'm autistic I'm I'm less than I'm incapable so I was having to really navigate all these feelings and build myself up and learn new things and you know constantly hitting walls and burning out and regrouping but what Bridget needed from me and what she could then give to me in return was something very 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 simple and basal and like that kept bringing me back down to earth as such and to the most important things and I think that's probably those two things that um what you call unconditional Mm -hmm. love as such and bringing you know narrowing your focus to what is really important and and bringing you back into the room because I think with at least with the way I experience autism I can get very overwhelmed because my brain almost like thinks of a thousand things at once and then everything that comes after those things so it's like for it's like forever expanding in thought Mm -hmm. and she just really brings me back to that like you talk (laughs) you you yeah yeah the way (laughs) you can talk about that yeah no no I think it's like I think that unconditional kind of love in a way or, or like utter respect sort of thing that yes, you have to work for, but it's really there. And we do, we have cats as well. <clears throat> and we 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 also used to have the most dog-like cat going right. um, until last year, but they're like, there's a real difference because they're, they're like your best mates, your, your cats, they're like, you, you really have to work for their respect. And it's like, if if you respect me, I'll respect you, sort of thing, and we'll get on. Really, Maybe we'll get on really well, sort of thing. <laughs> Where, <clears throat> sorry. Whereas a dog is or it is more like that kind of child sort of relationship, and they they as much more dependency on you, and it really does sort of center you and be like, okay, uh, like not everything is as important as kind of as we make it out to be, and. Yeah, you're basically like, in, I've, at least for me, this is my experience. I'm in my own head, like, I've experienced, I've like had about a thousand thoughts in a millisecond. Mm-hmm. I've stressed myself out massively. And then I look at Bridget and she's like looking up at me whimpering or like she sits on her back legs like a meerkat. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh, fine. <laughs> I'm back in the room. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what it, like, that's what she does for me. Amazing. brings me back down to her yeah yeah like, out of my own head incredible yeah. no, she's sounds great. brilliant i mean it, it sounds like there's so much natural compassion we've spoken about that already and 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 that ability to recognize the needs of another whether that be person or dog or and, and really see that and see that is that that's the essence of what a, any sort of foundation of a relationship is built on it is if you if you're not meet effectively meeting the needs of another that's important to you in in either getting a performance out of that person or in a relationship with their dog, it, it it's it's going to have gaps in it. It's going to cracks are going to appear and things aren't going to be as necessarily as good as they could be. Mm-hmm. It's been fascinating to talk to you both. Um, I'd love to get you back and do a part two at some stage and we can talk more about. Um, you know Bridget uh, even more about Bridget than we have and what you guys do is as well I'm just interested on because there might be some professionals dog training professionals that listen to this Mm. as well and this is a little bit on the spot so it might not you know have it have time to think about it if you need to if you could give you know in terms of education of professionals in supporting 
people that are neurodivergent. And I know that's very broad and it's very, you know, sweeping. But mm-hmm. have you got any sort of top tips that people yeah, might yeah. take away? So I think like particularly with autism or something, there's a there's a very much but why sort of yeah. element. You kind of have to understand the details of what you're being told. And so often with teaching and instruction, you're kind of told, do this because it will result in this sort of thing or do it for for this result. And um, I think when, when we got Bridget, she did come with a bit of training sort of thing. And it was the people who were trained were really good because they kind of explained, really put it in, put you into her world mm. and said, this is, this is the reaction you're getting because this is the stimulus she is getting. This is what, this is what she's feeling. This is why she's acting like this. So I think if you can like contextualize, contextualize and explain why you're giving an instruction that really, really helps and kind of just breaking things down. And also as a trainer or a teacher, not getting offended by questions Mm. um because i think often people can be in like this this power position how that's maybe not fair same sort of power position but like a teaching position and then you get questions back and you're a bit like don't question me i'm kind of i'm in charge here or whatever but actually it's it's or you feel it's a reflection they're making a judgment on your knowledge or capabilities and it's not it's just that they just need to know they just need to know information what's going on um and the other thing i would add to it is just think about you know asking questions of that person how they communicate how they learn best um it's better to ask an awkward question than to ignore it and you know you have not so great communication going forwards and so think about what they need and then you know if worst comes to worst just universal design so there are ways to put information across that Mm -hmm suit most people's neurology so I think about like this isn't necessarily relevant when you're giving one-on-one advice but if um, you're sending out like infographic if you're sending out information could you if you and if you don't like to be on video yourself there are sort of like AI things that can do to animate this for you but could you have it as a as a video that has subtitles and alternate text because then if you're if you have you know characteristics of dyslexia dyspraxia ADHD autism you've got something for you there and like pick out the key points and yeah it's just understanding that or everybody's even, different yeah. and or even just a nice like poster or infographic or something like that that's going to do your business better than sending out information emails and the people engaging in it are far more likely to pay attention to that infographic and remember the information than and it, yeah than... and to come back for more for good reason yeah. because they've actually been able to engage then like a five paragraph female sort of thing it's yeah it's pretty it's i hope that how i hope that's not yeah. just like really obvious stuff but no it's not no it's not at all it's not at all it's fantastic brilliant well thank you very much for for giving us your time sharing your ins ins gosh blimey <laughs> yeah sharing your insight and uh the wonderful world of bridget as well um we will leave it there for today and um hopefully get you back soon thank you very much yeah, it's been thank really nice thank us. you